We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this space would be transformative for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series called The Best Stories Ever, and today's sermon is titled Total Acceptance. Well, I want to start out today by reading the passage John 4, starting in verse 1 to 14. And this is how it goes. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing more than John, although Jesus' disciples were baptizing, not Jesus himself. So therefore, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You see, Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. So Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. So the woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave the well to us and he drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will, will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. So in the book of John, we see that there is this overall reality that Christ accepted the rejected. Also in the book of John, you see that he worked through and, and, and spiritually worked through the downtrodden and the dejected to display his power and glory. So there's a couple of ideas that I want to give here in the book of John that I want to point out to you in this specific story of the Samaritan woman at the well. So first, some of the ideas that I have have to do with removing spiritual growth barriers. So the first barrier that I see in this story is something called a geographical, I'll call it a geographical barrier, although I want to use that as a metaphor. You see in the Samaritan woman that, that Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to this place on the way in his travels. So going anywhere, Jesus would go anywhere for the sake of his mission. And in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. So a little background here is Jews and Samaritans basically had an intense hatred for each other, an ethnic conflict that was incredibly intense. So Jews were willing to cross the Jordan River two times to avoid Samaritan people. Sounds crazy, but geographical barriers implicates distance and metaphorical distance as well, and that's what I want to talk about today. Your neighbor, it could be next door, you could have a wall put up 
to your next door neighbor, or maybe somebody that's from a different part of the country or a culture. We can have great separation from our next door people, even some of the people that we do life with or the people in our office across the hall or whatever. The, the distance, we distance ourselves from people that maybe we don't like. We distance ourselves from people that we might not agree with. And right now, it's kind of crazy, politically and socially. We create lots of distance with people that we just have different views of. Sometimes it's the jobs that we have, whether we are a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker, kind of a old terminology, but it's whether you are a laborer or work in an office, do you hang out and cross geographical, metaphorically distances to carry out and go out of our way to minister to the needs of other people? Well, not only geographical barriers of distance, the second barrier that I see that hinders our spiritual growth is gender barriers. So opposite sex, and we see this in the Bible, that there's issues with the opposite sex or gender issues. And so how can this person have that kind of authority over me? She has a kind of authority over me. How can he have an authority over me or I over them? So the Bible says that there are no males, females, Jews, or Greeks. So this tells me that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is genderless, meaning that all people, all gender, Male and female are equal in Christ. So when we think about gender in the church and how divided we have become or irrelevant we've become over the years because of this issue, just overlooking this issue or ignoring this issue. So we have to look to the Bible, and we see the first people to proclaim the risen Christ were female. They went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and those women proclaimed Jesus first, that he had risen from the dead. In Romans, the letter carrier listed at the end, Romans, the most theological book, and what a lot of our theology as Christians come from the book of Romans, she was female, the letter carrier for the book of Romans. But yet in other parts of Scripture, women are told to keep their heads covered, and even keep silent in the assembly. And then what do you do with the prohibition of women even speaking or even asking questions? We see this written in the New Testament. Well, the challenge is then even greater when you look at the letter to the Corinthian church. And you see in 1 Corinthians 14 that a woman is not to speak in church. But in 1 Corinthians 11... A woman is allowed to pray and proclaim the word of God. So if you have a low view of scripture and you, you just kind of are a legalist, I guess, you would conclude at this point that the Bible completely contradicts itself. And some people believe that. Even Paul, in like the Corinthian letter, in the same instruction of worship, contradicts himself. Yet if you have a high view of scripture and you're a grace-driven person, you see that Scripture and these Scriptures uh, promote actual equality. 
The problem is that, that we face in the modern church is we have not proclaimed that equality. We haven't implemented that equality in our workplaces, in our homes, in our organizations, in the churches that we're involved in. Churches suffered from this for a very long time. So in order to cope with this as human beings and in this sin of lack of equality and equity, we say and do really lame things towards especially women that we convince ourselves is correct or just a funny joke or something, which it's not funny. So statistically, the culture and our modern culture struggles with the implementation of equitable principles in in everything, but we especially struggle in the implementation of equity in gender. So these commands that you read in scripture, whether it be pray with your head covered or don't speak in the assembly, there's very cultural, very specific cultural ideas behind each one of these scriptures. They are cultural 100%. The people of that day understood exactly why that was being said, and also they understood why Paul in like chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians said one thing, and in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians he said another. So the position of the Bible is women can, can hold any position in the church of leadership of any kind, as long as they experience a calling to it and they, they want to enter into that ministry we need to learn how to implement equality in our lives, not only in the church, but in every section of our lives, whether it be in our homes, in our workplaces, in public, or in the church. And that's why I'm really thankful for Resonate in this way. We have the equality of gender and work hard to include equal and equitable voices in our decision-making processes and in our discussions. So in reality, the problem is our pride. We, we want to think that we're more important than another person or another person, people group, or another gender. And we do this as the church. We engage in this prideful sin, and, the, and then the world looks at us as we are silly, and we have silly rules and lame, and no one that that doesn't believe in Jesus is concerned about our silly rules, roles, and methods. They see that they are actually not just silly, they're oppressive and wrong. And we need to enter into a new form of engagement of equity and equality. So we need to look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus with the Samaritan woman had no problem implementing an equitable conversation or equality, seeing her as an equal person. A Samaritan woman in verse seven came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. So this statement actually is a statement of respect and that sounds funny to say because how could like, asking for water from another person be respectful? Well, Jewish men were taught to never speak to a Jewish woman in public. Not his sister, not his mother, not his daughter, not his wife, let alone a Samaritan woman. So the church notoriously has suppressed the role of women, but real Christianity does not suppress the role of women. Christianity will not, Christianity has not, 
And will not the church is the one and our structure and our interpretation of things oppresses and suppresses women. But Christianity does not. And I see that the third barrier then, not only do we need to remove and work through our gender barriers of our opinions and our blocks, but then the third barrier is racial barriers. And this is a very relevant conversation today. It's obvious in our culture that we have racial barriers that we need to overcome and work through and learn what they are when we don't have the self-awareness to identify them ourselves. And so the Samaritan woman, Jesus, talked to the Samaritan woman. He had a conversation in public. Not only was she a woman, but she was from a different different race, and they did not talk to each other. So in verse 9, the woman was surprised, for the Jew refused to have the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said in her sh- in being shocked, "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink?" So Samaritans were mixed race and of a different religion. So pure, pure-blooded Jews hated them, literally had a hatred for them. So it was mixed race versus pure race. And I need to tell you that there is no such thing as pure race or a chosen race in Scripture. The only chosen are those in Christ. Those that believe in Jesus are the ones that will inherit the kingdom of God. So maybe you've heard that before, a pure race, or maybe some, some groups that you've listened to online or have maybe made it into your bookshelf have promoted some kind of pure race. That is, that is racism, and we need to, we need to uh, mine that out of the church and get rid of that kind of theology and that kind of thinking. Those that are in Jesus are the ones that will inherit the the kingdom of God. So the big question, and I think that a lot of us have really dug around this question, but the big question I think we need to answer, especially as white people, if you identify as white, this is a very important question for me and for, for you. Is, it's not if racism shows up in our lives. It's not if. It's how it's showing up in our lives. And how do we learn and grow through that sin? How do we learn how to to, to climb and do the hard work to identify and to really mine out that dysfunction in our lives. Because racial barriers and racism creates complete blocks to spiritual growth. Well, the fourth barrier that will hinder our spiritual lives is religious barriers. So as Christians, we have a lot of religious pride. And I think that we need to really work through what our religious pride 
looks like. And Jesus did not allow the pressure, even from his own religious group, to overtake his mission. He didn't allow his, the voices, even from the teachers of the law, to hinder even the words that, are co- that were coming out of his, his mouth. And so his words, he gave the Pharisee the chance to believe. When he was questioned, Jesus gave the Pharisee the chance to overcome their religious biases, and of course, they didn't. But in John 4, starting in verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the water of the well. But in verse 14, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give them never will be thirsty again. The water that I give them will be in those who drink it Excuse me, let me repeat that. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life. In John 4.20, it says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. So, so, that, so it's a question like, where do we worship? Is your the right place to worship? Is this the right place to worship? In John 4, 24, God is spirit and is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. And at that point, I go, well, what is the truth? And so we have this church over here and this group over there and this church over here and this this community over there. And sometimes religion gets very confusing. And I venture to say that religion was very confusing back then too. Who had the answer? Who was the chosen people, the chosen race? of people who had the ticket to ride right into heaven well i think these create a lot of religious arguments because jesus stands at the center of those arguments and he says it's not about all this religion it's about a person it's about me i and he says i am the way the truth and and the life you can sit there in your religious practices and spin up on your head and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every sunday morning and say hey I, that's my religious practice but jesus is saying without me jesus as a person i am the way the truth and the life so religious arguments and theological fights and rubs and and disruptions All that is to avoid personal responsibility. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Useless pontification about the things that can't be solved, about like creation or how God saves and what manner he saves and all that kind of stuff is a complete avoidance of personal growth and can be a hindrance to your spiritual growth and walk with Jesus. So not only do we need to let Jesus remove the barriers to spiritual growth, the second idea that I see in the Samaritan story is we need to let go of incorrect ideas. So I must draw close to Jesus in order to see and accept and and witness people that have a soul and are in need of eternity. So I see this conversation happening at the well And I see this relationship being forged and maybe there's a little bit of disruption and maybe there's questioning and what are you saying and why are you saying it? But yet they're they're drawing close and all of a sudden we see that she begins to let go of incorrect ideas of Jesus. And basically uh, what I'm saying is we need to many times let go of our hard-headedness our stubbornness, our judgmental behavior, 
where we think we're more important, our ideas need to be heard over another person's ideas. Jesus really not allowing the, the people, the Pharisees, to dictate what he was doing, but also the Samaritan woman not allowing her historical principles to dictate exactly what she is believing about Jesus. And so the Samaritan woman thought that, that, that the Jews' opinion mattered uh, so much. And in John 4, 9, the Samaritan woman asked, why do you ask, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? We don't associate with one another. And so Samaritan, the Samaritan woman didn't know who really she was talking to. She just looked at him like he was a Jewish male and Jewish males and rightfully so, Jewish males treated females, especially Samaritan females, a certain way. And so in John 4, 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again. I will never need to come here to draw water again. So she, she all of a sudden began to see that Jesus was different. And that came with a closer relationship with Jesus at, in this in this situation, she was asking questions, getting her questions answered, trying to maybe even fight through her historical beliefs or what she was taught as a child or maybe taught as an adult. She didn't know what to do with this, with this Jesus, and, and she didn't know what to do with what he had to offer. Basically, he's offering her eternity, but according to her and what she, how could a Jewish male offer me eternity? So she had to fight through that. She had to fight through all of that assumption. And so when we take the name of Christ with us, we, we need to look at others with that pure lens that Jesus looked at her with a pure lens so that they can look at us with a pure lens, that maybe there's something that they have to offer. So what does that require? It requires us putting down our judgment and and laying aside our criticism and really adopting a discipline of self-awareness and sorting through our views of other people's again gender and race and religion and who they are and what they look like and single stories that we know about people and our views of people we have to start thinking through and really digging out maybe the stereotypes of what we think people are and laying those things down and start looking through the lens of of Jesus so that people see the love of Christ, and they no longer see me, especially as a Christian, uh, just walking up to somebody, they automatically feel judged. They automatically hide behind maybe, okay, I'm a sinner, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, in your, in your camp. We need to lay all of that stigma and all that judgment down so that people can see and accept and experience the love that Jesus has to offer all right, this next idea, we need to let go of improper actions. That will, that will break our growth of a spiritual growth. So in the case of the Samaritan woman, she calls, Jesus calls her out basically and says, wait a minute, you, you have a behavioral pattern. In John 4, 16, Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband 
Well, you're right to say I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man that you are with now isn't your husband's, and, and you've spoken the truth. Well, this shows me a huge amount of transparency. And in the struggle that she's trying to have with, with, with the conversation with Jesus, it just shows me that we all have sinned. We all are in that struggle. Am I worthy? If, if Jesus finds out who I am, and if Jesus finds out my struggle, uh, will he still accept me? I guess that's the conclusion that a lot of us um, have come to. Will Jesus accept me if he finds out what I've done? And what's really important in this story is Jesus already knew what the Samaritan woman um, was about before he even went to the well. And so, regardless, Jesus accepts. Regardless of our backgrounds, our behaviors, or our beliefs, Jesus accepts us and he is standing at the well telling us and offering to us, just like in this, in this scenario, he's offering to us this drink. He's saying, drink this from the living water. Drink from the living well of life. And Jesus says, then I will give you eternal life. In John 4, and they said, it's John 4, 42, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you had said, had said, for we have heard ourselves and know because we now have access to this living water as well. We know that this one, this Jesus, truly is the Savior of the world. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. Let's take communion. We offer communion each and every time we do this broadcast. And so if you choose to take this with us, be blessed. And this is the body of Christ. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, he takes the bread and says, this is my body given to you. Remember that I am the living water. And this is my blood, the new covenant. Take this living water with you, he says, everywhere you go to the ends of the earth. Carry this new covenant with you and tell my, tell my story. And so when we dip the bread in the juice, we say thanks be to God that you've given us this living water and that is eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for this story of acceptance. Thank you for your acceptance of our lives. Lord, no matter what, our, our behavior, our beliefs, Lord, where we've been, our past, whatever we've done, Lord, you accept us. And for that, we are thankful. Thank you for being the living water that gives us eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.